Welcome to Season 4 of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. This year we've got more podcasts, more interviews, more fun for you. We'll call this the Red Shirt Junior Season. Let's jump into the first episode. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Should we lead off with good news? Why not? Arizona State basketball gets a seven-footer. A seven-footer for Arizona State basketball. Think about all the trouble they've had down low. Think about all the trouble they've had rebounding. Think about playing an undersized Obina Aleka. Uh, think about playing an undersized Romello White. Think about maybe relying a little bit too heavily on Daquan Lake the last couple of years. Euros Plavsic from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hamilton Heights Christian. Uh, well, one year at Chattanooga, uh, Tennessee, Hamilton Heights Christian. Obviously, Euros Plavsic doesn't necessarily sound like a like a down south Tennessean uh, name. He's actually from Serbia. He did play one year in, in the United States, and, and his head coach had an opportunity to catch up with Devil's Digest publisher Hode Rubino. And since I mentioned Devil's Digest, I got to do what I always do every time I talk about Devil's Digest uh, in the first three years of this podcast, and something I'll continue to do through the fourth year of this podcast is to remind you that if you are not subscribed to devilsdigest.com, You are not doing everything you could be to be the best, most informed Arizona State fan out there. So get on Rivals, subscribe to DevilsDigest.com, join us in the huddle for a conversation about anything and everything. You're going to get information there before uh, the general public, and you're going to have the ability to talk to me and yell at me for my takes, and you're going to be able to to talk with Hode, and and he really is the man with the plan and the man that pays the bills. So make sure you're subscribed to Devil's Digest, but I absolutely love this article on DevilsDigest.com where Euros Plavsic's head coach, Zach Farrell, talks a little bit about what some of his capabilities are. Uh, talked about playing at a high-level club in Europe, uh, average 10-7 and seven with one block per game uh, as a senior in high school. But one of the things that, uh, that, that Zach Farrell said is um, that he's somebody who uh, – can do everything, and he's athletic for his size. He said, I think ASU is getting someone who can compete to start his freshman year and potentially be a pro in a couple of years. Now, I look at Romello White as somebody who's probably got that position locked down, but imagine if you could remove Romello White at six foot nine to a power forward position. I mean, he Romello White's doing the job that a six foot six ish Obina Aleka was doing the year before, and so. Seven uh, one would be um, would be definitely an improvement as far as in the middle for Arizona State. It'll be interesting to see what he's able to do uh, when he arrives, and it's all part of a very interesting Arizona State University basketball recruiting class. Something that I don't necessarily think that we've ever witnessed, and, and something that is really brought to the uh, the forefront by Bobby Hurley's ability to bring players in. There are three four-stars in this class that are all signed. Euros Plavsic it comes in as a three-star, but again, he's over seven feet tall. You have Tayshawn Cherry, six foot nine, 220, four-star out of California. Lugan Stort, uh, 
out of Ontario, Canada, a four-star prospect, and Elias Valtonen, um, who is coming from Helsinki and is a six-foot-six wing that can do some damage from the outside. This is a fascinating recruiting class, and because I haven't had the ability to see a lot of them up close, I figured what better to do than to bring in Corey Evans, the national basketball analyst for Rivals.com, who works in tandem with Eric Bossy. Um, you're not going to get better information than this. You're not going to hear from somebody who's actually had the ability uh, to see um, most of these players in action, especially considering that you know you, you've got players from four different countries on you know two different continents that are going to be suiting up for Arizona State basketball next year. So uh, let's go ahead and talk with Rivals National Basketball Analyst Corey Evans about the 2018 Arizona State basketball commits. All right, I am excited to have Corey Evans, National Basketball Analyst for Rivals.com, on the Devil's Junkie podcast. Corey, uh, you've been an awesome addition to Rivals, and, and I really, really appreciate you jumping on the podcast. No, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited about it. So, uh, <laughs> I think we're probably Arizona State fans are a little bit of a, a of a an insecure bunch as far as not knowing, you know, are we good or are we not good? We we went twelve and zero to start the season, uh, nationally ranked number three, and then the wheels really came off in Pac-12 play. Uh, what was your impression on on Arizona State, which sort of became a media darling, and then you know couldn't really ever get past the zone or or, or you know jacking up threes, uh, and 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 things didn't necessarily go their way. Early exit in the play in game of the tournament. What was your impression of Arizona State this year? You know, as a whole, I was still pretty pretty impressed. I mean, let's 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 think back in October, the expectations on Arizona State. Um, they weren't that high, right? I mean, it, there was the hope that guys like Shannon Evans could come around, you know, and, and Trey Holder and those guys could come together and that freshman class could put it all together. Um, but to start out 12-0 and and have that big win over Kansas and also beat Xavier, um, you know, I know the Pac-12 play didn't, didn't treat the, the program that well. Um, but as a whole, the fact that they definitely took a step forward and then you have more and more talent coming into it. I know losing Holder and Justice and Evans is going to hurt, but uh, you know I think it's pretty sustainable the success that they saw last year. Now we've heard "sleeping giant" in reference to uh, Arizona State basketball for eternity, and I think part of it is because we have the biggest student body. Uh, in the country, and Tempe is a desirable place to live, but it seems like a lot of these basketball schools uh, thrive when they're a little bit out of the way, when you can focus on just basketball, and when you're the biggest show in town, sort of like the rivals to the south in Tucson. Yep. Do you feel like the the recruiting boom that is happening surrounding Arizona State, uh, being able to you know get not only four stars to visit, but commit, uh, not just from you know the state, but from the country and from out of, out of the country, um, do you feel like that's a reflection of Hurley and, and, and his staff, Berno and, and Coleman and his Adidas connections? Or do you feel like uh, maybe the investment in, in, in athletics around Arizona State has something to do with it? Is it really all just who you have in the driver's seat of these college programs? Yeah, that's definitely a part, I would say. You know, I mean, you look at um, a guy like we talked about earlier, Kwanzaa Martin in Missouri, you know, 
you flip flop, you win eight games, and a year later you win twenty or so games because you hire the right guy. Um, but I also think that more respect and more um, you, you got to give, you got to tip your hat to the Arizona State administration for making the hire, but also giving support. You know, whether it's the financial backing, whether it's the um, the travel, whether it's the, the basketball gym itself, the facilities. Um, Harley's been phenomenal. He's hired the right guys. But the Arizona State administration definitely has a part in that as well. So this crop of recruits for the 2018 class, um, you know, a lot of – I won't say Arizona State fans are new to covering basketball recruiting, but they're definitely new to having to go outside of the typical sources – to figure out if these guys are, are, are any good or not, uh, a lot of them being international uh, players or who, who might have had a limited time here. Uh, today, it's announced that they signed Euros Plasvic, uh, Serbian seven foot one center. You tweeted about him, about him having upside. And I think most people think of upside as like, oh, then he's probably not immediate impact. But this is a, t- a team that's been height challenged for the last three or four years. Um, what, what's your take, and do you feel like he can make a difference on a team that, on a team that's really been squeezing six nine and six ten guys into that center position for the last few years? Yeah, you know, he's definitely it's hard to find seven foot one guys that um, let me be polite that aren't stiff. You know what I mean? That aren't stiff like the guys that can move and and develop into um, like kind of deadly pawns within an offense. And that's what Euros is. And the fact that they can go out there in, in the springtime and get a guy like that um, is a reflection of Hurley and just continually just trying to find out what's out there. What, who can be a guy that can come in and fit our system and play to their strengths and, and, and flourish here? Now, uh, Tishon Cherry, you know, he he's obviously, you know, he's he's got plenty of accolades. But he's coming in with a little bit of drama, too. And I think one thing that's probably consistent for basketball players, you know, they get a lot of attention and, and, and end up involved in sort of dramatic situations at the high school level. Oftentimes that translates over to college. But Tayshaun Cherry is also somebody who seems to say and do all the right things online, um, who seems to have a lot of pride in Arizona State, even though it wasn't necessarily his first choice. Um, but we also saw that in a guy like Sam Cunliffe, and he lasted 10 games before leaving for Kansas. Do you feel like Tayshaun Cherry is somebody who can come into Arizona State, uh, represent that maroon and gold, handle adversity, and, and at least make it through a couple of years uh, of being part of this team? Or do you think that uh, him you know, getting booted from high school or him getting wrapped up in the investigation uh, and, and decommitting from USC, do you think those types of issues potentially translate over to his time at Arizona State? You just never know, right? Like that's, that's what makes this college basketball recruiting dynamic so inexact, right? Um, the talent there for sure is the reason why he's a top 40 prospect in America. Um has shown the abilities, was the main catalyst for his team winning the highly lauded Nike Peach Jam last year. Um, but toughness and maturity are definitely um, the two marks on him. Can he prove those wrong? Definitely. I mean, the talent's there. He's been a great kid to deal with um, in the past. But it, it's still out there for the taking. You know, it, it's 
how does he uh, mature? How does he buy into the whole um, college process of the team dynamic um, and not being about himself, but being about the team um, and having the discipline and the majority to do so? I think we, we've we've seen guys experience that type of redemption under Bobby Hurley, whether it's Romello White, Torian Graham, uh, but you know we've also seen guys uh, come and go uh, under under Bobby Hurley. But that's probably emblematic of college basketball as a whole. Uh, my last question is: Elias Valtonen and Lugan Stort are is either one of them an immediate impact player? Because Arizona State, I mean, they're replacing something like uh, four hundred threes uh from la- just from shannon evans cody justice uh you know trey holder th- these guys jacked up a lot of shots from the outside it's leaving a massive vacuum f- of scoring and i'm wondering it, it, do you feel like a uh, valtone and a dork can make up for for any of that giant offensive hole that's going to be left yeah it's going to be a little different though you know because i think dork is going to be the most impactful and i think that that's and, and honest, easy statement to make. Um, he's the most talented. He's the most college-ready. But also, the worst portion of his game is three-point shooting. Um, he's a market smart kind of type of guy. I mean, tough, gritty, defensive butt-off. He can facilitate and play make. He's about getting to the bucket. He's a good athlete. Where Valtonin is a six foot six, six foot seven wing type who's known for shooting from 17 feet and out. So, I think Valtona might be a little, a little more of a limited role guy next year. Um, but Dork is going to be the most impactful when we're talking about 25, 26 minutes per game. So, and then since I have you, we, we, there's a pretty good chance Kyrie Walker reclassifies to 2019. Um, you know, he he's, a, I think, a five-star prospect on our service he uh, he's really somebody who Arizona State feels could come in and be a one-and-done type guy even after reclassifying. And, and ASU is continually chasing that level of player that they really haven't had since James Harden, who probably could have left after his first year. Um, well, who definitely could have left after his first year, but might not have been a, you know, a top-three pick. Um, is Kyrie Walker that type of player? No doubt about it. I mean, there's a reason why he's a top five, top ten prospect in America. The one worry we have with guys like that is if they develop earlier compared to later on, that's why they're just more physically developed. Um, will time catch up to them? That's out there for the taking for sure. But talent-wise, the guy's been dominant everywhere he's been. I mean, playing up on the national high school circuit level, playing up on the 1700 level on travel basketball um, for Dream Vision and on the Adidas end. So uh, as of now, you know, like, you hate to put expectations on the kid, but he definitely is one of the few that can do it in that class. That's for sure. Awesome. Corey Evans, man, it is, it is awesome and a privilege to have you on and to, to actually have a reason to have you on now that uh, Arizona State University basketball is newsworthy. Look forward to having you back in the future. I look forward to it. I appreciate it all. Thank you. Between loneliness and solitude, 
what a private matter. A quiet man. To make a hard and fast transition into football. Uh, and speaking of recruiting and speaking of four stars, Arizona State is actually hosting official visits right now at the end of April. Uh, one of those visitors is four-star quarterback Jacob Conover, who I've interviewed for the Devil's Junkie podcast before. He is uh, a junior, uh, class of 2019, out of Chandler High School. Um, fantastic player, very smart very adept at understanding offenses, good arm, can move, uh, is a proven winner, already has two state championships, and is going to be going for a third, has taken on some of the nation's best players, uh, looked pretty decent against IMG Academy, looked very good against Florida State champion Miami Northwestern uh, when Chandler almost put up 70 points on that team. So, uh, I mean, this is this is a really, really special player uh, who is of the LDS faith and is considering going on a mission and I think it's really going to come down to Arizona State or BYU for Jacob Conover's services. Uh, and the, the one of the other players that they actually have on campus right now for an official visit is his tight end at Chandler High, Braden Lybrock, who, uh, um, who I've spoken to on multiple occasions, interviewed uh, for uh, other podcasts, different articles. Uh, this is a really special player, and he could end up being one of the most, if not the most, recruited player in the history of Chandler High School. And you have to think that, you know, when you, when you think about Chandler High School, there's Dion Jordan and Cam Jordan and Marcus Wheaton and Paul Perkins and Brett Hundley, Nikhil Harry and Chase Lucas, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, for a time, Terrell Suggs was there. And I'm telling you that Braden Lybrock, uh, even though this is a kid who didn't have his first touchdown reception until the first game of last year's playoffs, as a six foot five tight end with fantastic hands that can probably run a sub four seven forty, you are actually going to see the most recruited player maybe in the history of Chandler High, a very storied program in school, uh, be a guy who really didn't even break out until the playoffs of his junior year on the football field and he's there with his quarterback Jacob Conover they've been playing seven on seven uh, all offseason long together as part of the state 48 team uh, I've traveled out to Nevada with them they've also been out to California and played in some other tournaments and 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 I tell you what Brayden Lybrock went from having Arizona State be his first offer to taking visits all over the country having strong interest from Ohio State from Notre Dame really just about everyone and it's going to be tough for Arizona State to, to to reel him in, but if they can get Jacob Conover, and remember they're both there on their very first official visit right now, if they can land Jacob Conover, that's going to go a long way into keeping Braden Lybrock uh, around and, and possibly close to home. This is a guy who's very close to his family, as most kids are. His family, uh, um, a great group of people, they run uh, a, a non-profit that actually puts flotation devices um free uh, flotation devices out at all of the the different lakes um, to to try to stem uh, tragic drownings that occur at the lakes they do a lot of dry, you know drowning prevention type stuff uh, great family would be a great kid to keep around uh, it might just be a matter of convincing Jacob Conover that uh, 
that his mission is something that that maybe could be done through football because if not Jacob Conover is likely going to be a 20 a class of 2021 20, player uh, and and his choice is probably really going to come down to Arizona State BYU or if Stanford gets in the mix you know you can never count them out so uh, very very important official visits going on right now for Arizona State keep it tuned to devilsdigest.com I'll have interviews with them as their official visits come to uh a close. Now, Jacob Conover was actually just out at Arizona State's spring game, and spring was a really interesting time for ASU. And, and the one thing that I think stood out most is the fact that the practices were open to everybody. I went to every single Friday night practice, and at every single Friday night practice, there were recruits from not just Arizona, but all over the country on the sideline, all commenting on the very relaxed vibe of these practices. Uh, and then the players that I had an opportunity to talk to throughout spring practice also had lots to say about about the, the new vibe of, uh, of spring practice, where you're not necessarily walking on eggshells, where you aren't afraid of failure. That was uh, what a couple of different sources uh, brought up to me, that, that, that if you fail, you're not in fear of uh, getting you know, reamed by a coach or a head coach or an assistant coach, uh, and that really it's the assistant coaches and the student uh, trainers and the the grad assistants that don't feel like they're necessarily walking on eggshells anymore because as as tough as a guy as Todd Graham was, he saved most of his ire for uh, a lot of the coaches that that worked under him. You know, he would put the pressure on them, and it was their job to put the pressure on the athletes. This has a much more teachery vibe, if I can use a made up word. Uh, practices are quiet. If somebody messes up, they pull them off to the side and have a discussion and use it as a teaching moment right then and there. There's still a quiet intensity that's going on. And and what a lot of the players talked about and what a lot of the visiting prospects talked about is just that there was such a relaxed vibe to these practices that it makes me wonder, you know, were they taking this serious at all? Uh, is this something that will actually help them improve? Is it too relaxed? And that's why I had an opportunity uh, to catch up with Devil's Digest publisher Hode Rubino out at the spring scrimmage. Don't want to call it a spring game, especially with it being at the soccer field, but out at the spring scrimmage. And, and Hode Rubino had some really interesting thoughts on the overall vibe of practice and, and, and how the Arizona State players seem to be taking a liking to it. The Honorable Hode Rubino out here at ASU Soccer Stadium. Uh, we were out here a couple years ago, but it was in the middle of the day. This is definitely a different vibe. Uh, this team looks like it's having a, a lot of fun tonight. Like, this is just uh, a less less serious and more of just a way to get loose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Herm Edwards said that uh, he wanted more Friday night spring practices because A, this team is going to play a lot at night, as we know, and B, uh, he just feels like there's a different level of energy that comes out uh, at night. And as you can see today and really all throughout uh, spring practice, uh, those uh, Friday night uh, practices definitely had um, a different vibe, just a different level of energy um, altogether. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, definitely a savvy move uh, by Herm Edwards. Hire out of the box. Why not do things out of the box when it comes to spring practice? So I talk to a lot of these recruits that come out and visit. I ask them about the vibe of practice. And it's, I mean, overwhelmingly, people are not only intrigued but excited by it. Um, I, I guess the question would be to you, somebody who's covered this team for a very long time. 
do we have to wait to find out this if this is beneficial or would you venture to guess that that maybe this could add something as far as maybe camaraderie that wasn't there before or I mean what what is the benefit really besides just looking fun well I think that um, you know re recruiting obviously is a marathon not a sprint so maybe the the fruits of their labor is something that's going to show only in uh, several months from now obviously you got the early signing period in December so you can see definitely some of the benefits a uh, little, little sooner than uh, than previous years but uh, yeah but but I think absolutely when you have a really um, fun atmosphere with a lot of energy like we're seeing right now in the field that resonates with the dozens and dozens of recruits that are here and honestly even uh, helps uh, the incoming freshmen to get us a little more excited about Arizona State we saw some of the best uh, members of this uh, recruiting class Brock Sturgis uh, Mer Merlin Robertson um, over here in attendance so uh, yeah absolutely I think it's just a really an, an overarching uh, impact uh, when you see a team uh, just practicing in, in this in this kind of atmosphere because let's face it you and I may take it for a given uh, take it as a given but a lot of other programs just don't have what Arizona State has right now do you feel do you worry that it's the pendulum thing again uh, it was too loose under Erickson it swings over to super discipline under Graham are you worried that pendulum's going to go back too far or or do you feel like they're finding a healthy balance uh, with with what Herm Edwards has brought so far no I, I never think never think it's a healthy balance it's something that I mentioned a few times already in spring that as disciplined as rigid as Todd Graham was I've never seen a team run this this many gassers like I've done like I've seen under Edwards I mean maybe Dirk Cutter to some extent ran a good amount of gassers but uh, there's definitely a measure of discipline over here. I think I think with Herm Edwards and his staff, they know which battles to pick, and not to belabor uh, the point on previous regimes. But with them, it was just really just a black and white issue. There's a lot of gray with Herm Edwards, and you have to do something monumentally stupid to get, yeah, to, really, to really get in trouble. Um, and I think again. The, what's expected from them has been pretty established uh, for, from day one. The, the fact that they're having fun doesn't mean it's just a card blanche to do uh, whatever uh, egregious stuff that, that you can imagine. So I think Herm Edwards so far is, is, is definitely striking that balance. And again, I just, I just feel that, you know, you, you can talk about, okay, are they really 18-year-old kids or, or young adults? This, this happened to be 18. And I think Hermandos is really treating them as the latter, just really putting a lot of responsibility on them to, to either screw up or, or, or do the right thing. And I, and, I think, and I think so far it is working. All right, thank you. Okay, thanks, man. takeaway from from this spring uh, is you, I didn't really see any players stand out uh, Traylon Smith when he was around he he did miss a large portion um, of spring it felt like but when he was around he's somebody that really stood out to me as somebody who could do some damage uh, from the running back spot even being on the smaller side and you know he had the advantage of getting some reps in with Eno Benjamin being hurt uh, and and several of Arizona State's scholarship quarter, uh, running backs, four of them, in fact, uh, still having yet to arrive on campus. And so I feel like Traylon Smith, somebody who took advantage of some of his opportunities. But other than that, you know, there, there weren't really a whole lot of standouts for me or players that broke through or, or that made me think that they were going to have a breakout year of some type. 
it was really quiet, and maybe that relates back to some of the vibe of what was going on and the fact that, you know, the media used to really rely on Todd Graham to tell him who he thought stood out on a on, on a daily basis. You know, you can make your observations, but when a coach mentions somebody by name, that's something you really take note of. I personally thought that Blake Barnett looked okay uh, and, and that he was probably going to go a long way into locking down the number two spot uh, and maybe cementing his role as someone who was going to go into this season with the opportunity to take the role over if Manny Wilkins suffered an injury and go into next year as as the heir apparent starter uh, in place of Manny Wilkins. Uh, but it turns out that Blake Barnett didn't necessarily feel like he ever really got a fair shot at the starting job at Arizona State, which honestly is fair. I mean, when you have your athletic director firing a head coach and then publicly stating, you know, calling out Manny Wilkins by name as wanting to retain Billy Napier as the offensive coordinator for the benefit of your cemented in starting quarterback, Manny Wilkins, you know, I, I think as a player, you got to take a look at that and say, all right, well, there's probably not going to be a competition here. Then when you show up to spring practice and Manny Wilkins is the guy, uh, you know, he's already had a, a, about a year and a half of starts under his belt, and everyone's looking to him as the de facto team leader. I think you look at that and say, all right, well, this isn't for me. Now, if I was Blake Barnett, I'm not transferring. I am making uh, I am making them look me right in the face and say, Dylan Sterling Cole is actually going to get reps over you, uh, and even then, you know, I'm going to push and try to work through into my senior year, but Blake Barnett's not me. I'm not Blake Barnett. There's probably better opportunities for him out there. As somebody who's from the state of Wyoming, I wouldn't mind the Wyoming Cowboys replacing Josh Allen with Blake Barnett. I still think he's a very talented quarterback who has to be put in the heat of the battle for you to see what he's really capable of, and that opportunity just didn't arise for him at Arizona State, and obviously his leash was very, very short when he was at Alabama. So wish Blake Barnett the best. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the people who come out and have a problem with him for just trying to better himself and his situation. He's married with a kid, and he's looking to pursue his NFL dream. And I, I think a real Arizona State fan would look at anybody who wore the colors and, and, and didn't get into any trouble and say, you know, uh, best of luck to you. It'll be uh, an interesting scene out there, depending on where Blake Barnett decides to go, uh, especially considering that uh, North Alabama wants him, South Alabama wants him, Southern Florida he's already been on a visit to. You know, if he gets in a situation where he's going to be starting, then you have the opportunity for several former Arizona State quarterbacks to be getting reps this year, all while Todd Graham's first ever quarterback commit, Manny Wilkins, um, because I don't count Josh Dobbs because he didn't follow through with his commitment. But, you know, with, with Manny Wilkins essentially being the guy that has held down the job the whole time. And what is most important to remember about the fact that Manny Wilkins has held down the job the whole time, despite being the lowest ranked of probably all of the quarterbacks that Arizona State brought in under Todd Graham's tenure, uh, is that you have to look at Herm Edwards' tenure and say it might very well be the same way. The quarterback that Herm Edwards lands in the class of 2019 may very well define his legacy. And that's not to say if Manny Wilkins would have been better at what he did, that Todd Graham would still have a job. I mean, that might be true. I don't have a crystal ball. But at the same time, I think that your quarterback and your head coach's fate are always tied together. 
if Manny Wilkins was one of the most unstoppable quarterbacks in the country last year and Arizona State wins nine games, Todd Graham's probably still his head coach. He, Herm Edwards' fate on whether or not he's going to hit the ground running rests in Manny Wilkins' hands. Which is really interesting because I had an opportunity at one of the press conferences over spring to ask Herm Edwards a question uh, essentially about his relationship uh, with quarterbacks in general and what his relationship with Manny Wilkins has been like. And that answer has really stuck out to me, and I'm going to go ahead and play that for you now. You've had probably as much adversity at the quarterback position as a head coach. <laughs> you think? That's why I'm sitting here. What's your philosophy as far as what a head coach's relationship with a quarterback should be? It's almost like a marriage, except I'm married. But I was married twice to my wife that I might have been married my whole life to that I've been married and Chad Pennington. I mean, I still talk to Chad Pennington. He calls me, I call him. Just this is what we do. And you know, it's 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 vital because you got to be on the same wavelength with the quarterback. And um, I visit with Manny every day. We always talk, and we don't talk about football. We talk about how to lead, not about football. It's about how to lead, and that's important because we have to be on the same page. We have to be. Uh, his best interest and my best interest is the team's best interest. It's always about the team. It's about what can we do to help the team? What can I do to help the team? What do you need to do to help the team? Not the offense, the team. How do you lead? Those are discussions. Those are personal discussions we have. And we have them sometimes on the field. Sometimes we walk down the hall. Sometimes wherever. It's just this constant. This is what I'm saying. You understand. This is what you need to do. This is, that's how it works. And I think at any level, the quarterback and the head coach are attached together. It always has been that way. And when you get a good one and you guys are on the same page, a lot of good things can happen for you. So there you have it. A head coach and a quarterback's relationship is like a marriage, and right now Herm Edwards and Manny Wilkins are working on their marriage. And it's going to be a short marriage. There's no real time for a honeymoon period because Manny Wilkins only has a year of eligibility left. He's going to have to hit the ground running. And if they want this season to be successful, then they're going to need Manny Wilkins to step up in the area of leadership. And that's something that Herm Edwards brought up as well. That he needs to see that Manny Wilkins has the ability to treat the number one guy on the roster, which is most definitely Nikhil Harry, like the number 85 guy on the roster. That everybody has to be able to look to you, have faith in you, believe that you're authentic believe that you're the best guy for the job, believe that that favoritism that came down from the athletic director that relieved you of necessarily having to go through a competition to win the job for the third year in a row was merited. So this is going to be a really, really big test for Manny Wilkins. But ultimately, I think that Herm Edwards knows he has to look to the future. That's why this visit right now from Jacob Conover is so important. Are there other quarterbacks out there? Yes. 
Would they, without having any commits yet for the 2019 class, when schools like Cal already have six or seven, would they like to get the defending local two-time state champion who has the ability to recruit the players that played with him on the state 48-7-on-7 team that included some of the most talented players from the state of Arizona that went around and played with some of the most talented players from the states of Nevada and California where they said they'd like to recruit as well. Yeah, it would be very important for Jacob Conover to be that first domino to fall. But for right now, it's all about Herm Edwards and Manny Wilkins. And uh, I, I think that there are plenty of questions. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing for Manny Wilkins. I think that he's somebody who thrives with uh, the the idea that there are people that are out there that are doubting him. And, you know, I certainly have my doubts and my questions. I don't think it matters for a lot of players whether doubts and questions are authentic. I think people reach out for some type of negative to feel like their back's against the wall or they're an underdog in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but I think in Manny Wilkins' case, it's true. I don't necessarily think there's a lot expected of him and the Arizona State Sun Devils moving into next year. I don't think anybody assumes that they're going to challenge USC or Stanford or, shoot, even Washington or, you know, to to achieve Ray Anderson's goal of being at least third overall in the Pac-12 next year seems like something that's just a foregone conclusion that won't happen in most people's minds. So there are questions and there are doubts surrounding Manny Wilkins, and it's really up to him and his level of dedication and his ability to bring the people together around him to figure out whether or not those doubts are just an early manifestation of what his reality will be, or if those doubts are going to be something that motivate this team to play for Herm in a way that they weren't playing for Todd Graham. Why your main struggle gotta keep a man humble, subtle for generations I'm under. Alcoholics and adulterers, tobacco pipe fillers, cancer killed them. Infected diabetics, fatherless and broken families for generations I'm under. Stoic and unimpressed, Disneyland looked like us, happiest place on earth. Till the veil came down and Roma started. And speaking of Todd Graham, uh, some of the players that he was responsible or partially responsible with the assistance of some very good recruiting assistant coaches, uh, some of the people that he was responsible for bringing to Tempe were selected in this weekend's NFL draft. You have uh, Kalen Balaj, a very talented, naturally gifted athlete heading to the Miami Dolphins to play running back, even though my personal belief and the thing that I rant on constantly is that he could be absolutely great as one of the world's biggest slot receivers, but Miami Dolphins are going to give him a shot to run the ball, and that'll be interesting. Uh, You have uh, Sam Jones going back home, uh, played in the offensive line for Arizona State, uh, left school early, Uh, and was drafted by his hometown Denver Broncos. You've got Christian Sam, who also left early, not only left early, but sat out the bowl game, getting picked up by the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick and and, uh, Todd Graham obviously have uh, somewhat of a relationship, so uh, I'm interested to see uh, whether or not that played into Bill Belichick's decision 
to bring in Christian Sam as an inside linebacker prospect. And I know that, you know, Todd Graham has a special relationship with Christian Sam, with Christian Sam actually coming from the high school that Todd Graham coached at before he got his start coaching college football. So, um, and then you had Jojo Wicker, who left early, ultimately didn't get drafted, but ends up signing on as an undrafted free agent with the Detroit Lions and has the opportunity to, to possibly do some damage. Um, and, you know, you have uh, you have DJ Calhoun, who's going to get an opportunity uh, with the Cleveland Browns. Mitch Fraboni, the long sla- snapper, is going to get an opportunity to possibly, you know, get on with the, the Houston Texans and in doing so would supplant uh, uh, an actual former Arizona high school football prospect, John Weeks, who plays. Uh, who plays for the Texans. So it'll be interesting to see how all that shakes out. Uh, But I I wanted to actually bring in uh, a special guest who's going to be a recurring guest to talk about some of these players and what they might have the possibility to do at the professional level, in addition to just give you a little bit of his story as to why he's not suiting up for the Arizona State Sun Devils anymore. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome a special guest uh, who will be a recurring guest for the Devil's Junkie podcast, former Arizona State offensive lineman Marshall Nathy. All right, I'm excited about this next guest. Going to be a recurring guest on the Devil's Junkie podcast Throughout the season and 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 hopefully beyond, I'd like to welcome uh, Marshall Nathy, just medically retired from Arizona State University, uh, was on the offensive line there, and before that played won a state championship at Centennial High School. Uh, how you doing, Marshall? I'm good, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm I'm excited to have you be part of the Devil's Junkie podcast moving forward. Um, I just tell people a little bit about what what uh, put you on the path. Uh, that you're on now. I know a lot of people were uh, kind of, you know, interested in your development, maybe rooting for you from the whole like local uh, standpoint. You were, I think, the first player, uh, first commit to actually stick through to signing yep. in your class. Yep. Um, and then you had actually been on on the two deep uh, and, and even competed to, to potentially start a little bit last year. Um, but here you are, moved on to the next phase of your life. Walk me through a little bit of, uh, of, of how that all went down and, and where you're headed now. Well, um, football, let's just start with football was a huge blessing for me. Um, and yeah, I had tons of support around the local fans and uh, the local people came and supported our team. And that was always... Uh, really important to me and uh, huge for my growth and, and my confidence as a player. Uh, it was really nice seeing how many people were rooting for me. Uh, it just turns out that my body what didn't want to take me as far as maybe me spiritually wanted to go. Um, but it, it did, however, it got me, a, it's getting me a degree um, and my scholarship is covered up to a master's degree. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue that. For every bit I can, and right now, uh, so I'm in. Uh, I'm studying interdisciplinary studies right now with uh, concentrations in business and ethics. And pr- uh, probably, I would say, about a year from now, unless some way I'm able to work my schedule to load it up, I'll probably I'll be done my undergrad in a year, and then from there, I'll go into the master's program of sports law and management for the next year because I'll load up that schedule as well. Because uh, I'm pursuing the sports agent career, so uh, what I really wanted to do is I knew my plan my whole life, um, 
and even though football was over, I knew that me as a person and uh, career-wise and maybe even in the sports world that I was just beginning. So I wasn't too upset about having to make the decision to stop playing football, uh, really, because something that was always super important to me was that when I wanted to be able to walk with my children. And if I would have kept going the path I was, my body would have been pretty beaten up. Um, I mean, there's, there's no point not not talking about it anymore, but I had two disc herniations uh, in my back. I, have, I tore my ACL my senior season. Um, and on top of that, uh, just my body is just breaking down. I mean, it just wasn't football ready anymore. And so... So I just had to kind of accept that and allow myself to move on. And, and that was totally okay with me. It was okay with my mother. It was okay with my girlfriend. Um, and and that was really cool to have their support in that sense as well. And now I'm really pursuing, uh, I'm going to pursue an internship, hopefully with Octagon, which is one of the largest agencies in the country. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure even the world. And, uh, I bartend on the side, and hopefully I'll be on this show with you talking sports, um, supporting some of the local players and uh, local younger minds as well. So we'll see what can come out of all that. So, I mean, and f- football's definitely changed. A guy with your skill set used to be, you know, it, it used to be that you could probably be incredibly effective, uh, you know, anywhere from 265 to 285 uh, from the center position, you know, and, and, and just based on the fact that everyone's getting bigger, stronger, faster, you know, they, 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 they wanted you kind of at a target rate of over 300 pounds. And, you know, that, that was something that you had, you had said that was, it was really tough on, on healing from some of those back injuries you had. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when your back's the way mine is three, three Oh five, when I'm a natural, maybe put still pushing it two eighty. It's, it's, tough to keep all that weight on to say the least um like i was constantly having to eat and now that i've been done playing i mean it's been a breeze and to lose weight like i'm already i'm a month out and i'm already down 20 pounds it's just my body my body just didn't want to didn't want to force that weight on anymore and and like i said i mean i was i was six three and a half on like my best day and maybe 300 pounds and i was still the smallest lineman we had i mean they're just Everyone's just huge. I mean, we got guys like Steve Miller, who's 320 on his super light day, and then we have even Zach Robertson, who's even bigger than that, Quinn Bailey. I mean, they're all just ginormous individuals who can move. And and frankly, I just I just kind of had to accept that that wasn't my path anymore. Now, you know, you're you're in a situation where um, you, you've really got it outlined for yourself what you want to do. And you and I are sitting here talking in between day one and day two of the NFL draft, uh, knowing that this is, you know, something that you want your career path to involve. How much more interested uh, in the whole draft process are you knowing that that's something that you want to stay involved with? Well, eventually, I know I'm going to have to know the ins and outs, but right now I'm really just trying to see what level of understanding I have as an individual when comparing a uh, collegiate player's film to where they go draft-wise. 
because I know a couple. I, I have a couple people from the team, uh, like Kalen Balaj, JoJo Wicker, and Sam Jones, that are all potentially going to be drafted in the draft. And from my personal opinion of them, I'm I'm really just trying to see that if I have a the ability to have an unbiased opinion that would accurately compare with where they go potentially within the draft. So right now, I'm really just trying to compare uh, my personal thought to hopefully the thought of the rest of the corporation and see how they line up. So, so he, you're right. It is a much different mindset. Here's where you make the full transition from from player and teammate to analyst then. Because I, I don't necessarily want your opinion. I don't want to get you in any trouble or anything like that. But I would like you to assess my assessment of a player like Kalen Balaj. I look at him... Uh, and I see, uh, I, I see a guy who could do some serious damage uh, being one of the bigger guys to ever really play in the slot or play sort of a hybrid tight end H-back position. I think he is so dangerous with the ball in his hands beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, and I know it's really been hit and miss in the NFL for some of those bigger uh, running backs. You have guys, um, uh, you know, like they have in Tennessee out of Alabama, who were, you know, over 230 pounds, over six foot two. Um, but other right. than that, you know, you, you it's few and far between the really big guys like a Brandon Jacobs or something like that make a huge impact in the uh, in the NFL. Am I? Am I crazy to look at a guy who had success as a collegiate running back and say, "Oh, that guy needs to be playing in the as big as he is in the slot or or as as potentially maybe even a tight end?" You know, honestly, I think it's really uh, Kalen Balaj is really just an individual who, if he is willing to maybe adjust his mindset and to be willing to work with the team uh, and maybe, like you said, his position. I think the sky's the limit for a guy like him. He's, I mean, he's, you're right, he's massive, he's strong, he's fast, he, he understands to get the, the offensive front in the game of football in itself, and uh, I think you're absolutely right when it comes to uh, maybe a different position will have to be um, discussed. Uh, I, I think, I personally, I don't, I don't think he's quite big enough to be a tight end. I think a slot spot would be phenomenal because as we can tell, as we can see from the past years of uh, ASU football was that we ran a lot of uh, zone type protection quick pass and he and, and he was really he was always able to uh, get a hold of the ball and make games I mean uh, last year last year he was kind of, in my personal opinion he, I thought maybe he was trying to save himself a little bit for for the draft which is only fair. Uh, I, I felt he had earned that right from the years of service he gave the gave the team, and I, I think right now I'm just really excited to see where he's going to go and uh, how he's going to be able to help help and make the team that he goes on successful. Now you played alongside Sam Jones. Um, is he? Is he? I mean, first of all. What does he do well? Because he's probably got the highest evaluation of anybody who came out, and he came out early. Uh, what What do yeah. you feel like he does really well? And do you where do you feel like he fits in? Is he is he a true guard? Can he play a little bit of tackle? What do you think about that? Honestly, I think he's more center. Really? Um, yes, I, I do. I mean, for playing with him, coach worked him in at center for a little bit, and his snaps were way off, and. That kind of got him out of the discussion of that, but that's normal. I mean, a guy who's 
never even discussed center in his life is is thrown into the center position. His snaps aren't going to be perfect. I mean, I mean, shoot, my mine still weren't perfect, and I've been playing it for two years now. So, but he he's a guy that I know that understands football. He understands front. He is he is willing to. Either A, go by the rules, which was how Coach Rob Stale uh, played. I mean, there was rules and responsibilities for every front. And there's also how Coach Christensen coaches, to where it's a lot more natural, um, uh, a lot more uh, just uh, instinct? football knowledge-based. Yeah, instinct. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. It's a lot more instinct-based. I think Sam can do either of those. As well as that, he – I'm – I have always taken myself as a very strong leader in myself, and that is a guy I would have followed anywhere. He has he has a level of confidence and poise about him that sets him that sets him aside from others. I mean, he doesn't have to say a word, and he, he rarely does. I mean, he's a quiet guy, but his work ethic and his ability to hone in a team and, and demand excellence, even for outside of a coaching position, is is amazing to watch I personally I can give you my honest opinion that that is a man I would have followed anywhere and not questioned anything I always thought it was interesting that he lead a line. he he seemed to have the respect of the older guys uh, the the old guard and and the younger ones that came in and I think that 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 uh, that connectivity is something that you don't see often to where you know, I think he was in Christian Westerman's wedding, you know, and he's somebody yeah. that everybody, you know, that got to play alongside him last year looked up to. Um, and I, I always found that really in- interesting about him. And beyond that, I mean, he almost missed a full season at one point. So the, he's, yeah. he's getting these high draft grades based off of really a season and a half of film over the three years that he was there. So that's incredibly yeah. impressive. Um, Jojo Wicker was asked to do so many things. Um Inside, outside, I'm sure you, you know, had to go up against him at points or really got to see up close what what he could do. Um, where do you see him best fitting? Because he never really had – he was asked to do so many things that it, he never really had a solid nailed-down position at the collegiate level, and, and he's somebody that's definitely intriguing as far as, you know, not necessarily knowing where he would – fit in i mean he athletically he might even be able to play like a three four outside linebacker uh in the right scheme but you know we've seen him lined up uh you know uh covering the covering the center even before what what do you think of jojo wicker and, and what he might be able to do he's not an interior defensive lineman i can tell you that now his his ability and his natural talent goes to the outside. Like you said, the three four outside linebacker would be a perfect position for him, as well as the right scheme, of course. And then outside of that, a defensive end has is where he's comfortable. I know him from on a personal level, and I know it's where he enjoys playing. And his twitchiness is something that you don't see often. Uh, I think he's he's slightly bigger than Karan Crump, who's Karan Crump's one of my close friends. And I think that he, he compares in the twitching level to Kron Crump. He's able to he's able to move his body uh, and, and divert from his collarbone level to his head level, and to get a guard uh, get a deep uh, tackle to excuse me a tackle to lean one way and for him to counter the other. He's a very twitchy individual, so I think defensive end to an outside linebacker would be the perfect position. I do not feel that he is a NFL type interior defensive lineman. I don't. 
All right, Marshall. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate uh, you checking in. Um, wish you the best of, uh, of of luck in your future endeavors, and 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 mostly, I'm just excited to have you be part of this, man. You're a natural, so uh, I look yeah, forward to che- checking in with you as often as possible, and um, yeah, we'll see how this draft shakes out. Absolutely. Give me a call whenever I can help. Sunday morning. Church choir on familiar context. Put it on my heart. Praise God for the conscience. Writing in the spirit. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? And that will do it for the opening episode of season four of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. All part of the devilsdigest.com, familyrivals.com. Make sure that you subscribe. Make sure uh, that you hop in those message boards, talk with us. Make sure you get your questions answered. Pay the money and then go in and get your money's worth. We are there to serve you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to a great year of podcasts. Uh, Thank you to Marshall Nathy. Thank you to Corey Evans. And as always, a big thank you to Hode Rubino. Looking forward to the next episode of the Devil's Junkie podcast uh, when we break down uh, some of the recruits from across the country who might fit as some of Herm Edwards' very first uh, commits or recruits in his first ever full cycle as the head coach of Arizona State University. And then maybe we'll get into some of the debate that was surrounding the whole, you know, should you or shouldn't you cut players thing. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what other controversy is drug up by the fact that the national media uh, has it out for Herm Edwards. And Herm Edwards certainly has a tendency uh, to bring that attention on himself and to the university. Time will tell if that's positive or negative, but I'm looking forward to to going on that journey with you, the listener. This is Ralph Amston, and you've been listening to the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in Devil Town Devil